Hello everyone and welcome to the Pokemon Masterclass. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur, business advisor, professional podcaster, author, and self-proclaimed nerd. Those are his words, not mine. Please welcome everyone, the great and powerful Pat Flynn from Deep Pocket Monster. Pat, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me. It's always great to hang out with more Pokemon nerds. And um, whether you're watching or listening to this, just thanks for the time. Excited to chat, man. Well, it's so good to have you here, Pat. And, you know, I've said this before with some of my other guests, but it's always nice to have this full circle experience. And as I said, a lot of people out there probably know you, at least in the Pokemon community, from Deep Pocket Monster. But I've been following you long before that over on Smart Passive Income and love the content that you put out there. Um, it's very, it rings a bell with my channel because a lot of what I talk about here is business related, investing related, and I love how you are also incorporating all of those past experiences that you've had and kind of bringing that over to the Pokemon space as well. Yeah, I think it's, Thank you. it's really fantastic. So as I said, you know, many people listening to this are going to recognize you from Deep Pocket Monster, but if we could go ahead and start by you just giving uh, a little bit more background on your past and where or what brought you to this point. Yeah, so my story of entrepreneurship, which is really where this all began, um, came out of college. I actually got a dream job getting into the architecture field, graduated uh, magna cum laude, I was like doing everything I was supposed to, um, climbing the corporate ladder, doing really, really well in that, wanting to eventually have my own firm and be a principal of my own architecture company. And then all of a sudden I got laid off in 2008, um, much like many other people did at the time. Uh, nobody was spending money to build anything, therefore they didn't need any architects and I got let go. And it was hard because that was what I was gonna dedicate the rest of my life to. Um, that was two months after I proposed to my girlfriend. So it was just like bad timing. I moved back to my parents and stuff. And I felt like I was a loser. And even, even though it wasn't my fault, it was like, that's not the direction I wanted to go. And all I knew was architecture. And I was begging and pleading to try to get back in. Well, I discovered this thing called a podcast around this time because I had a lot of time. And there was a particular episode that I heard where these guys who were talking about internet business, which was to me at the time, it was super like snake oily. It was super like just people sharing their secrets, but then you'd have to pay like $2,000 to get the rest of it kind of thing. So I was just a little bit weary, but a podcast was free to listen to. And then I listened to this podcast called Internet Business Mastery. And there was an episode with a guy who was talking about how he was helping people pass the project management exam, which I didn't know what that exam was, but he was apparently making six figures a year doing so just online. And that was a huge light bulb moment for me because I had taken several exams on my way to becoming an architect. One of those in particular that I had legit no information online about it. And I struggled through it. I failed it a couple times and eventually I passed. So that was my moment to go, whoa, what if uh, I just build a website and try to help people pass this exam? So that's what I did. It was called inthelead.com, L-E-E-D, which is, stands for um, Leadership and Energy and Environmental Design. Anyway, super nerdy stuff in the architecture space, but long story short, people found this, people started to share it, Google found it. I started to get five, 6,000 people a day coming to the website. And then I was like, okay, I got people here. Let me run ads. There's this thing called Google AdSense that you can add, similar to here on YouTube, but mm -hmm. you can put uh, ads on your website to hopefully get people to click and then you can make money from it. And I remember the first day I put that on, I made $1.18. And it was the best feeling in the world. I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I just made a dollar out of almost nothing, even though I had spent literally hundreds of hours on that website and mm -hmm. hundreds of hours in forums trying to make a name for myself. Um, but then eventually I heard about this thing called creating your own product. I built a study guide. I sold it on the website for $19.99. And at the end of 2008, I ended up making $7,908.55 in a single month from a $19 ebook. And not only that, I was getting messages of thanks back. People were saying, this saved me so much time. Thank you so much, Pat. And they were calling me by name, like, Pat, thank you, Pat, Pat. I'm a big fan. Thank you, Pat, for helping me pass. And that was super weird to me because... I had worked so hard as an architect and I didn't really get thanked for anything. In fact, I have my fingerprint on dozens of buildings around the United States. Nobody will ever know. And here I was mm -hmm. pass, helping people pass an exam and people are like, Pat, thank you. You've helped me get a raise. You helped me go on vacation with my family. And I was like, what? This is so crazy. So I started my next website, smartpassiveincome.com to show people what I was doing there. Because not only was I making money, I was actually doing it in a way where it was all automated. 
very similar to what Tim Ferriss teaches in his book, The Four Hour Work Week, where you build systems to do the work for you. It doesn't happen up front. It's not easy, but it can happen. And, and I built the business in that way. And Smart Passive Income took off because I just started sharing everything transparently for free. Um, what tools I was using, how I was doing it, how much money I was making, how much money I, I, I would have made if I did something differently. And people started to gravitate toward that, which is really cool. And that has been around for now 13 years. Uh, it has a podcast with over 65 million downloads, a YouTube channel at Pat Flynn with uh, nearly 300,000 subscribers. And we've helped tens of thousands of people start their own businesses on the side or full time. And it's just really cool because every day I go to the mailbox and I see handwritten letters from people who are super thankful very similarly, but now it's not just about architecture, it's about you know their career and, and such. And um, this past year with the pandemic was really, really impactful to the business because a lot of people had their own version of my story, having gotten laid off due to COVID or the pandemic. So I was getting on the news a lot to talk about my experience and um, that brought a lot of people toward my channel and toward my uh, website. And um, then with all that time as well, with uh, not having to go to conferences anymore and whatnot, not spending money on vacations, I, like many other, uh, took on Pokemon as a hobby. Um, definitely started with my kids. Uh, my kids got into it and a couple friends. And then for me, whenever I get into something, I get really into something and I want to learn everything there is about it. And it almost is like a game to me. And I started learning so much and noticing a lot of people were enjoying the things that I was figuring out and the things I was learning that I was like, man, should I do it? Should I start a YouTube channel? I, I know I shouldn't because you got to stay focused on your business, but a lot of it is automated. And I have a team that does a lot of the stuff at Smart Passive Income for me now. I was like, let's just do it. And let's, if we're going to do it, let's take all the 13 years of experience in business and do it right. And I started by building relationships. I started by getting involved in communities and helping out, not asking for anything in return. In fact, I sent probably hundreds of DMs to people in Pokemon space, seeing what they might need help with, what I could do for them. Because that's what works in business, um, mm -hmm. serving first, helping others first. And I think it was Zig Ziglar who said, you can have everything you want in life if you only first help other people get what they want. And that's the approach I took. And it seemed to work because in December of uh, 2020, when I launched my channel, I had so many people already supporting it. And so far the channel has just been exploding. Uh, in two and a half months, we're at 16,000 subscribers already. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did our first live stream in February and it had over 1.5 K people watching live and people seem to enjoy the style and the, the approach with the storytelling and the cinematography. And I, mm -hmm. like anything, always just want to provide something different, provide something entertaining and help educate people along the way. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's so funny, Pat, because I have kind of a similar origin story as well. And as you said, you heard from a lot of people this year in the pandemic of, you know, people who had reached out to you and said, Hey, a lot of the tenants that you've put forth in smart passive income, your other business ventures, help them out this year. And I've also noticed that myself over the years. And, you know, I started out as a financial advisor after I got out of college, uh, kind of similar thing, graduated, you know, top of my class, business school, got out, uh, became a financial advisor. And uh, after a few years of that, you know, I wasn't laid off, but I started to get burned out. I just started to get burned out in the corporate environment. I saw that there was a ceiling there. And I, I realized that it, for the most part, yes, I was helping people by planning for retirement, uh, helping them with their financial assets. But for the most part, I was I was working for somebody else's dream. And so that's yeah. what really gave me the impetus to, you know, kind of escape the corporate world, if you will, go out and, and, and strike out and try to do my own thing. Because in the end, a lot of people have said it before, you can always go back. And I think that for mm -hmm. many people this year, over the course of 2020 and throughout the pandemic, they've learned that not only do is it necessary i think to take risks in life risks in business um but it's also important to to have that especially in this day and age to have that side hustle at the very least to have that side hustle something else that they're doing on the side because as we've seen through automation as we've seen now through companies downsizing a lot of those once you know thought to be tried and true stable jobs aren't necessarily the case anymore. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, with the, the impetus to start Pokemon, it was really the same, the same impetus that gave you or, or that you started with to start uh, smart passive income. 
But uh, what have you what have you taken from Smart Passive Income and brought over to the Pokemon space? Yeah, I was hoping you were going to ask that question. Um, I touched on a little bit in terms of building relationships first, right? Trying to serve others, see what I can do to help others in that space. When I have a lot of people approach me and say, hey, I want to get into this business. I'm like, okay, who else is in that business? And they don't know. I'm like, well, you got to figure out who's there because how can you stand out from the crowd if you don't even know what's in the crowd, right? Mm -hmm. And so often I'll say, go to go to events. Can't go to events right now, but go to events and volunteer. Just do what you can to show up and be and be around those people. Learn about those people and help them out because you'll potentially even get invited to things that you didn't even think were possible to meet the people who can help you get to where you want to go. It's always been a people thing. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the people that I've connected with and the people that I've um, provided value to who then provide value back to me. In a way, it's like digging your well before you're thirsty, right? If you start digging your well and you're already thirsty, it's a little bit too late. It's, that's similar to like if you haven't heard from a friend in four or five years, but then all of a sudden they reach out to you and they say, hey, I have this ebook about dog training that I would love to share with you. Like, can you share it with your audience? It's like, you haven't even spoken to me for five years. Like that's mm -hmm. what versus like just always keeping in touch. And then when you need something, they're likely going to show up for you. So relationships and people is very important. Um, tactics, uh, especially on YouTube. YouTube is something that I've been on since 2009 with my channel, although I hadn't been serious about it until 2017. It's a very clear hockey stick like growth with my YouTube channel at Pat Flynn when I eventually started to just go, okay, well, actually, how does this work? Who's doing it right? How are they doing it? Let me let me find a mentor. Let me get some coaching. Let me go to events again. I went to an event called Vid Summit in 2017 that was absolutely game-changing. It's a, an event run by a guy named Daryl Eves who brings together all these YouTubers who, it's not like a VidCon. VidCon is like, you know, David Dobrik's going to be there and there's like 20,000 screaming fans. That's not that this kind of event. This is like, Okay, Mr. Beast is on stage and he's teaching about thumbnails, right? And mm -hmm. I sat there and just soaked everything up. Peter McKinnon was there to talk about storytelling and so many other people who are very big on YouTube, but who are willing to share their knowledge. So again, getting involved with learning and actually trying to see what works and what doesn't. But a lot specifically, tactically, what I've learned is the importance on YouTube. It's the click and stick strategy. The click is so important. That's the thumbnail and the title, the two most important things on YouTube. If you're a YouTube creator, People aren't going to watch your video unless they click and you got to capture their attention with a thumbnail and, a, and an uh, intriguing title. And then it's the stick. So the first 10, 20 seconds of the video, how can we ensure that a person is going to be likely to go, okay, I'm going to dedicate my time to watching all the way through. And then within the video, how do we create either pattern interrupts or uh, reasons to keep watching till the end? And there's even been some videos on my Pokemon channel where literally like mystery box videos are working really well for me right now because it has that inherent mystery of what's going to happen. And I'll tell you, my first mystery box video, the moment I revealed the final card, you could see in your retention graph, it's like, cool, 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 final card, pff, everybody's gone. It's like mm -hmm. the behavior of people on YouTube is so finicky like that. So what did I do in my last one? I didn't reveal the card till the last 10 seconds. And that kept my retention up, which then allowed YouTube to go, oh, people actually watched this video all the way through. Let's send it out to more people. So little tactics like that, that you pick up over time, which again, I didn't discover that I learned it from somebody else and I just apply it. So learning an application, very, very important. Um, and then specifically uh, branding, I think is something that I've gotten really good at. A lot of people were very impressed with Deep Pocket Monitor in terms of the logo and the feel and the even just like the culture of what I'm trying to build that that was all very purposeful and done up front with the idea of, of, of you know, giving the idea of storytelling, the idea of cinematography and, and having sort of a through line across all the videos. Uh, that's very important. I'm very, I'm very excited because um, you'll, you're actually the first to know this. A lot of my upcoming videos are actually going to include a lot of my family, and uh, my kids in particular. My son and I were going to do a um, collection battle where we're both going to back and forth show off something in our collection that's new, and we're going to try to make it little anime style, so it kind of has that cool Pokemon feel to it. And who knows how it's going to turn out? It could be absolutely a dud. But the thing is, part of entrepreneurship, part of what I learn on Smart Passive Income is, you don't know until you try. You got to experiment. You got to test. You got to fail. Failing is a part of the process. And that teaches you so much. True failure is just giving up when something doesn't work. But you ask any successful entrepreneur, it's like, of course they failed because that's how they learn not to do this anymore, but to do this instead. And that's something that's a lot, uh, that was very difficult for me because I grew up in a household where it was all about being perfect. I would come home 
from school with a 97% of my math test. And I'd feel like a failure because I'd spend the next three hours with my dad talking about the three questions that I got wrong and it would just be such a drag. And so I was just conditioned to be perfect. If you want to be a creator, if you want to be successful in anything, even Pokemon investing and collecting, sometimes you need to take a little bit of risk and you need to understand that, well, risk means it's not always going to work out, but there's always a lesson. You either get what you want or the lesson that you needed. And that's something that's really important that I've carried over from business as well. Yeah, and you said it best. I think that it's something that a lot of people are learning now that they're entering the Pokemon space. And what I have found in my conversations with many people is that this, for many, is their first dose of investing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you look at it statistically, and something I believe now it's over 70% of people aren't invested in the stock markets, bonds, mutual funds, all of those different assets. So you take that in combination with statistics where at least until recently, most people were living paycheck to paycheck. Now we've got stimulus coming into the economy. People have a little bit of disposable income at their hands. They're not spending it on vacations. And they're going, wow, this is this is entertaining. And I actually like to learn about investing in Pokemon because there's an entertainment factor to it. Whereas, sure. you know, like yourself or myself, I remember they sat me down at a desk and said, okay, here's your series seven and 66 textbooks. <laughs> Study these for a few weeks. Um, so this is like some, for a lot of people, their first their first entrance into investing. And I, I find that there's two extremes here. There's people that don't want to take any type of risk and there's people that are taking far too much risk maybe leveraging themselves far too much and so it, it is interesting to see that and I, and I think you bring a nice perspective here by being a serial entrepreneur to to show people like you you know every now and then you do you have to step outside of the box you have to be able to take a little bit of of risk uh to earn some of that added reward what I also love about your channel as well, and this is the direction, I'm glad that we we started discussing this, because the direction that I see content creation going with Pokemon, at least in, in my perspective, is you've got the knowledge-based side and you've got the entertainment side. And, you know, for some like yourself, you're being you're able to coalesce or bring those two together in a in a meaningful way. Um, but you know, for a lot of people, that's really what they're interested in. Like you have the people that are interested in the investing aspect and they want to find those videos where they can get their questions answered. And for me, that's really where I try to create my niche. I started to think back of, okay, when I started in 2016 and there were no videos out there on investing in Pokemon cards or how to grade with PSA, that's really what I started to do is think back on that and go through my memory and say, okay, these are the videos I wish I would have had uh, when I first started out. And then on the the entertainment side, you, you're starting to see, especially through the pandemic, people want to be a part of a community. They want to feel that they are a part of some larger community within this space. And so for yourself, I think you're doing a fantastic job and it obviously shows in bringing people together, showing the backstory. Because when people see you, they see, okay, Pat Flynn, very successful entrepreneur, also involved in Pokemon. They like to, and I know for me as well, and it's one of the reasons why I love podcasts, is I get to explore the deeper sides of these individuals, you know, understand, okay, what is, you know, a day-to-day operation like, you know, for Pat, how is he creating videos? How is he going about, you know, as you said, creating thumbnails, creating titles? Um, what kind of ideas is he exploring? Um, and what is Pokemon in the grand scheme of things in his personal life? And that's where I think, you know, for yourself, taking on that storytelling aspect, I think that is the next uh, wave in my opinion, of content creation. And there's been some of that. We've got people like Real Breaking Nate who do vlogs and things like that, but really getting into the nitty gritty and how you garnered certain cards and the story behind it, I think that's that's really fascinating. So taking all that into consideration, where do we go from here? What do you think is the next big step for content creation and for content creators in Pokemon? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words. And with regards to your niche, 
um, it's got to be clear and yours is very clear. And I'm trying to find my way into a more infotainment niche, right? Infotainment mm -hmm. is like, like the new hot term in content creation all over right now. It's providing information, but also making it entertaining at the same time. And that's kind of where I see I'm fitting in, into the space, but you know, things are going to evolve always and we get to uh, all kind of ride that together, which is pretty neat. But in terms of the next wave, you know, I, I think it's going to be this, like you said, the community, um, I think we're seeing this in business already. There's a lot of uh, software. There's a lot of money being spent in the world of taking people off of places like Facebook, taking people off of places like LinkedIn groups and putting them into a private community. And we're seeing this a little bit with some people in their Patreons and whatnot, and that's really cool. Um, I'm an advisor to a company called Circle.so, which just got a second round of funding recently that's um, blowing up in the world of a privatized community. It's essentially like you get to create your own Facebook, but just for your people. And you can put a paywall behind that if you want to get people to get access to it. I have a private community myself of about 600 entrepreneurs who are paying $49 a month. And it's, it's pretty awesome because people um, get so much value there and it's connection, it's networking. We ran a survey, in fact, uh, to the people who applied to SPI Pro, which is our, our membership community. And um, by far the number one thing they wanted more than anything was networking, just connection. And I think we all want that more now more than ever. Uh, we're not going to conferences anymore. We're not even seeing our friends anymore, most of us. It's like really hard. And so when we feel connections to others, that's where we want to go. We as humans just inherently want to feel like we belong to something and we're, uh, we're a group type of uh, species. And so I think it's really important that we as creators can actually facilitate and create those spaces for people to come in on and feel safe, to feel like they belong, to feel welcomed. Um, because that's ultimately what people want. They want to feel heard. They want to feel like, yeah, there's a, there's other people like them there too. Um, and the the number one thing that people didn't want in our community was more content, which was really interesting because we're we're very proficient with content creation. I've had over 1,500 episodes of my podcasts recorded. Um, they didn't want more content. They wanted connection, which is mm -hmm. which is really cool. So people come for the content, just like on YouTube, but they can also stay for the community. And there's a lot of great PokeTubers that are creating some amazing communities. I'm, I'm trying to nurture my community. It's very difficult in the very early days, but um, you know, the couple, couple live streams and I have memberships available on my platform and the Gem Mint Club in my community. I know you have a community as well. It's, it's you know, uh, you attract the right people. And, and it's, it's interesting because it's like, you, you, nobody's like you and, and you and the person listening or watching to this, nobody's like you either people will gravitate toward you, even if you're not as experienced as somebody else, even if you're not as proficient as somebody else, because they like you. And mm -hmm. most creators I know are afraid to put themselves fully out there because they're not good enough, or they're not expert enough, or they they don't feel like they have enough experience. But truly, being an expert just means being just a couple steps ahead of somebody else and making people feel like they're welcomed. Uh, I'd much rather learn from somebody who just did the thing that I'm trying to learn because they would have the most knowledge about what that experience is like versus somebody who, yeah, maybe they've studied it for 10 years, but the last time they actually did it was a long time ago and they might have a PhD, but I'd much rather learn from somebody who, who's um, more at my level. So uh, all that to say, there's a lot of um, opportunity, I think for a lot of people, the thing that gets more, most people in trouble though, and I've already experienced this and I, uh, and this is something I experienced that almost held me back in the beginning was the idea of, um, playing that comparison game. It's like, oh, but this person just started and and people are, have, have been saying this about me. It's like, oh, well, Pat just started and look at this channel. It's so big. Like I'm a failure of a YouTuber. And I'm like, no, you're not. Like you're on your own path. I'm on my own path. We can't compare because we're apples and oranges. You have to mm -hmm. compare yourself to yourself last week, to yourself last month. How is your video this time better than your video the last time? What are you doing consciously to improve click-through rates and your thumbnail and to provide better information? That's where you need to compare, not compare you to me or me to you because we're on different timelines. And, you know, I think a few people who are misunderstood about me see that I kind of just came out of nowhere and they're, they're, they're not feeling good about themselves and I want to help out. And I have to tell them, I've been uh, doing this for 13 years. Mm -hmm. You've only just started to think about this and you already have more subscribers than I did when I started in 09. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, so we need perspective. And hopefully I'm bringing in that truth. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. Just like always bring transparency and, and make it about uh, the community and togetherness. 
Mm-hmm. That's such a good point, and and that's something that I've mentioned to other people. I mean, my channel is not you know large by by most standards, uh, but a lot of people will reach out to me as well and and ask for perhaps advice on growing their own channel. And I I think that's the biggest thing. You hit it the, hit the nail on the head in that you cannot compare yourself to somebody else, whether that's from a statistical perspective, uh, you know, numbers. Uh, but also from the content itself. I think that when you start to compare yourself, then you you want to replicate the content that someone else is creating, thinking that it will have some kind of uh, similar effect on your own channel. And I think that's viewers will pick up on that uh, pretty easily. They'll see when there's kind of that, uh, you know, that, that copycat type of uh, mentality. So I, do you think I'm the glad. same thing happens with our collections? Like we feel like we get maybe a little bit of FOMO or jealousy or we compare our collection to somebody else's. So we may or may not make the smartest decision. I know I've done that. I made mm-hmm. a purchase when I first started out uh, really investing into Pokemon uh, in October. I bought a unlimited Charizard off of eBay and it was raw and I bought it for $1,800 mm-hmm. and it ended up being graded a seven, which is even worth more than 600 at this point. I lost money on that. And I have mm-hmm. it displayed on my desk as a reminder to just go, okay, like, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to and react to the crowd? Or am I going to actually like step out of the matrix every once in a while and try to make actual real life conscious decisions about facts and things and research versus just the horde mentality. Um, because I did get, I was like, oh my gosh, all these people are getting Charizards. I need one of my own now. I didn't need one of my own, or I could have at least like started to research it more to understand that, well, it was probably going to be at the peak of its time at that point, um, mm-hmm. at least in that window of time, and I could have waited to get it later. The only thing that was making me anxious about it was I might miss out, and um, mm-hmm. that's never a good reason to buy anything. Yeah, well, I don't know, Pat. I mean, I've been referred to as the evolutions guy. I was touting evolutions from the beginning and I was getting so much flack over it um but you know just the way the characteristics that I saw in it and uh, you know I'm what's funny is I'm by no means a, a you know diehard evolutions fan or you know that I have some kind of you know inherent stake in it but I just saw a lot of characteristics about it that seemed to spell you know long-term success to me but again I caught a lot of flack for it and and I think again it's it's sticking to your guns and um and understanding you know okay I've got this this knowledge in the hobby and and a lot of it is intuition as well um Mm -hmm. even back when I was a financial advisor um a lot of other advisors that I worked with you know you can go through the data you can go through the analytics you can run the numbers but uh, there is a certain intuitive aspect to it as well, and I've stuck to my guns when it when it comes to that uh, in the Pokemon realm as well. Um, and and again, I think you're so right. I think that the best thing to do, and one of the other reasons that I wanted to start this podcast is, I got the feeling that people had they they were turning to one source of information, whether it was like me or maybe it was other content creators out there talking about the financial aspects of Pokemon and they were they were just going down a single path and they were only listening to that that particular medium. And so I I often told people, I said, you need to really branch out. You need to get your information from a lot of different sources so that you can bring that all together to have a more holistic picture. And that was another um, big idea that I had with the podcast was bringing together as many people that I could so that people could have more of that well-rounded, um, you know, idea as to how they should approach it. And thank you for doing that. The podcasts are great. I feel like I'm just getting access to people who I wouldn't have normally gotten access to. So I I appreciate you for that uh, a lot and and well done on the evolutions, um, thing. Uh, you know, I think that, um, you had the same feeling about evolutions before it's skyrocketed up. Um, that I had about Tesla back in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm a Tesla stock investor and a lot of people thought we were crazy in the beginning because of whatever. And, um, and look at it now, right? It almost feels mm-hmm. like um, those who are a little bit more uh, you know, invested, not just with money, but with um, just research and time. And, and like you said, intuition, that, that's something, you know, and I, I drove a Tesla, I owned one in 2016. And that like, mm-hmm. I was just like, 
this stock is 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 way undervalued right now for what this thing is and what it's going to become. And so I I put my money where my thoughts were, and it's paid off for sure. Um, and I'm trying to learn how to do similar things in the world of Pokemon with relation to okay, well, everybody's talking about waifu cards. Okay, that's too. I'm too late to that now. I don't want to have another Charizard episode like I did in October. So what might be coming next? What sets are coming up? Or what sets do I feel were maybe undervalued, overlooked? And there's this whole connection with Diamond and Pearl. Now that's got having a remake. So that's interesting. I know you have like the black and white opening coming up soon if that hasn't happened already. Um, I think that's really smart. And I love about like what to buy, what to hold, what to sell. Um, a lot of those things I was, I was, it was pretty much in alignment with a lot of the things that I thought as well. Um, on top of that, though, it's interesting because as a PokeTuber now, I think that there is definitely with that idea that people come and they listen and then they take action and some of that action means spending money. There is a little bit of a responsibility to, you know, make sure you do your due diligence. And of course, yes, you have the disclaimers and all that stuff, but that's more of a legal thing. But there is sort of an inherent uh, responsibility. And I, I'm feeling that already, even though I'm not, quote unquote, an investment channel. I do talk about prices. I do talk about things that I'm buying. And I know that has an effect on markets and such. Um, you know, we're not huge, but it's growing and with great power comes great responsibility. So I like, what are your thoughts? What are your, what's your advice for a PokeTuber like me who is growing, who yes, could have influence. How do, how do we, both you and I sort of navigate the space when, um, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy times right now. Yeah. And I think what it boils down to and what's interesting, like in my capacity is that I'm providing I don't like to say advice, but I like I like to say recommendations on product while at the same time also conducting a business as well, a buying mm -hmm. selling business. Just like so an advisor, it, like a financial advisor, same thing. Exactly, exactly. So there is a fine line there and I, I do feel that inherent responsibility when I'm recommending certain products and and I always think to myself, is there a conflict of interest there? Even though I do feel strongly about certain products, sometimes that can cross over to where the same products that I'm recommending, perhaps I'm also selling. And so mm. there can be that perceived conflict of interest there where it's like, oh, well, you know, Pokenav is just trying to push products that he, he has on his store shelf. And so I think the way that we, we navigate that is being consistent. You know, my recent conversation with uh, James from ZNG Emporium, we were talking about consistency in the graded card world and among grading companies. And I think it's the same thing here in this space. Mm. I think what people are really looking like for that. is that consistency. What kind of recommendations are you offering? Is that consistent with what you put out, you know, five months ago, six months ago? And there is going to be change. This is a this is an ever-changing market, and there's a lot of products within this market that can be ephemeral and fickle. So I think your your perspectives and your philosophies and recommendations will they will change over time or they will there will be slight differences. But it's really that that consistency in what are you bringing forth? What is your you know investing style? Like for me, a lot of people will say Pokenow is the type of guy that brings us back down to earth because <laughs> I'm not really the type of guy that's saying, you know, go out and buy, you know, those first edition base set Charizards or unlimited Charizards. Um, I will, really what I'm trying to provide here is an investment platform that aligns with what I was recommending back when I was an advisor. And I try to bring those two together. So I say, okay, I recently did a video where talked about the risk tolerance spectrum, um, basically that we use in the financial world, all the way from a conservative investor up to an aggressive type of investor. And along the way, I showed what I considered products within that certain, within that particular risk tolerance area. So, you know, for instance, conservative type of investor, I think that uh, like Wizards of the Coast, base set booster packs are a conservative investment. When you see the fluctuations in booster boxes, let's say that, you know, base set unlimited, if you have a, a big surge in the price of that, well, you don't always see the same uh, correlation with the booster packs themselves. There might be a, you know, mm -hmm. a slight increase, but it's not exactly one for one for one relative and same thing when the booster box falls and then on the opposite end of the spectrum you've got really aggressive type of investors and i would classify products in there 
like modern, ultra modern, full art cards, um, just because there's so many of those being produced and PSA's backlogged. A lot of the other grading companies are backlogged. So how do you know what do we know about the supply that is going to come out onto the market? Um, you know, all of these different things. And then again, I think in a nutshell, it's just trying to provide people with as broad a picture as you can so that they can make the decision for themselves without pushing them into one particular direction. I love that. That's a beautiful answer. That's actually really helpful for me too. Thank you. Do you mind if I ask you one more question from your experience again, from a, from a newbie collector uh, perspective? Um, and you being a financial advisor likely has a really good answer for this. And that is like, as a collector now, I have all these cards. I know I don't want to keep all of them, but I'm having a hard time letting go of some stuff that I probably should sell. Like, how do we, how do you know when to sell? How do you get over the emotion of those kinds of things? I'm, I'm doing a good job with some of the cards, just going, this is in my collection. I know I'm not selling, mm -hmm. but there's cards in between. There are some cards I buy for investment purposes. And there are the cards in between that are like, this is really awesome, but the price is really high right now. I could probably sell this, but I'm attached to it a little bit. I'm, I'm struggling with that personally right now. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if you had any words of advice for me, that'd be great. Yeah, it is, it is a really difficult thing in this space because when you compare this to the financial markets, you know, even your Tesla stock, like you do have a little bit of a tie to that company. You own a Tesla. Um, there are there are certain attachments there to the company itself but in the end it's a piece of paper it's a number on you know a screen somewhere number of shares right. that type of thing it's not a tangible product whereas here i've said that people fall into two categories like there's the type of people that find themselves that they find it really tough to try to sell products because they want to keep it in their collection and there's the mm -hmm. other people that find it hard to keep products in their collection because they see the prices at what they're at and they think to themselves okay i can sell this for you know this much profit and yeah. you know can either you know take that and put it elsewhere or just you know pocket it um so i think in the end it's it's again having that blueprint ahead of time of understanding what is my short-term goals with my investing, my collecting, what are my long-term goals for investing and collecting, and then understanding which products fit into those categories. Because you know, with collecting, it can be one of those things where it can get out of hand because you just there's always more, there's always another chase. And uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you're investing or when you're buying and selling, it's the same thing, constantly chasing profits. So I think it's trying to strike that balance. And I, I really think that the best way is to have those goals in mind beforehand. You know, for it's, it's like with a business, you know, you wouldn't go into a business, you know, just blind, you would have some kind of blueprint. I wouldn't make a recommendation to a client sitting in front of me on a portfolio recommendation. I have to sit down with them. I have to understand their goals, their risk tolerance, all of these different factors. And then I put that blueprint together. And I think when you start with that, you have a much better outlook on how you navigate that, which cards stick in your collection, which cards you can then sell and maybe reinvest into other products that maybe eventually end up in your collection or products that you turn, create more cash flow to then turn later on. That's great. I'm like looking at my collection right now, trying to make decisions as we go along. So I'll, I'll wait to do that later, but uh, thank you for that. That's super valuable. I'm sorry to hijack the, the podcast. I'm just like, since you're here, I have to ask and I think it would be helpful for others. So um, sorry about that, but thank no, you. That's no, I appreciate super that. valuable. No, thank you. And it, and, and it really leads into my next question here because, you know, for somebody like yourself that has been so successful in your previous business ventures, your uh, entrepreneurial prowess, I'm interested to see what opportunities you are seeing in the Pokemon market. Like what, what really, outside of connecting with community and all of these different things, mm -hmm. What brought you into this space? What were the opportunities? Because I know you're a business guy. You see the opportunities there. What brought you into yeah. this space? So it was very clear to me up front. I'm just going to be straight up. Being within the Pokemon community as an observer, as a participant in the live streams, as a commenter, there were just some, some things that were very clear, open, gaping holes that I knew I could come in and fill. One of them 
was the fact that these YouTube videos that we see, none of them are super high quality. None of them are at the level of Peter McKinnon in the world of photography or Casey Neistat in the, in the world of vlogging. So I knew that if I could take some of the knowledge that I have about filmmaking and the knowledge that I have about cinematography and storytelling, that's an important part of it, that it would at least hit home with people. That's, that's number one. Um, number two, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it was just the people who I was following, but it just always seemed like the same cards were being spoken about. And I knew that there were more cards that were deeper, that had you know, more interesting stories that um, could become showcased. And I thought I, I kind of wanted to you know, build my collection off of those interesting stories. There was a video I came out with that, no, it didn't have the most views, but it definitely was my favorite video. And it was a card that was from New York in 2001 called the Lucky Stadium promo mm -hmm. in the first uh, Pokemon Center that opened up in the US ever, just a couple months after 9-11 in mm -hmm. 2001. And there's a beautiful story about the Pokemon Center opening up, providing hope to the kids in the neighborhoods that were just dramatically affected by uh, the things that have happened just a couple months prior. And then the story of Pokemon Center sort of shutting down and then turning into Nintendo World in, in Rockefeller Center. There's just such a beautiful through line there. And that video allowed me to connect with some amazing people who were there that day, who were, um, because of the, those promo cards were only available uh, kind of early on with a special postcard invitation, I found. Um, it, it got me into looking at some of the other promos that were happening at the time, like a little mini Pokemon electronic thing that kind of looks like a Digimon, but it was Pokemon specific, a Pokemon mini, I think it was called. And I picked up one of those because I was just like, wow, this is like history right here. And I totally forgot to put it in the video. I just, I had it, I had it shipped in and I totally forgot to put it in the video, but um, at least I get to talk about it today. And there's just there's just meeting there, and I saw so many people who were like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even know Pokemon cards could like get to this level of 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 history." And I was like, "I'm just scratching the surface here. There's so much going on that we don't even know that I don't even know that I feel like I could become the I don't know the the medium by which these stories can be told." And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and go. How to have this story about this card? How to have this story about this card? And I'm just like receiving it on them, and 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 it's cool because I I, I can tell that they're coming to me because they feel like I can tell that story mm -hmm. better than they could, um, and on their behalf, if you will. So one of my next videos is going to be about the um, JR Adventure Rally, um, 2002 Pokemon cards that if you put them together, they actually look like they're in a specific scene, almost like mm -hmm. a Smash Brothers scene. And um, that, that involves this whole adventure around Japan to pick up these um, cards at train stations. Like I was, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to unpack this. So yeah. I reach out to people and again, connections. I have now stories that I can tell on that video and that's being put together too, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, more than that, like as somebody who's been really successful in business, I wanted to take the approach of, um, you know, giving back and, and hopefully leading that front. Um, there's been a lot of people in the Pokemon space that have been very giving. Uh, everybody from Leonhardt, of course, as we all know, uh, with a lot of the charities that he's worked with to even Logan Paul. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. he had his break, but he also donated over $133,000, which, you know, is very admirable. Um, I've been very, very philanthropic. Um, I don't see philanthropy as something to be like, hey, look at me. But, you know, in one, in some regard, you got to also say, hey, look what I'm doing. Like, we could all do this. And, mm -hmm. and so there's kind of a balance there. Um, but already I am doing what I can to, to step up. Um, a lot of the live streams that I've done were just packs that I've been giving away. And, and that's how I'm building an audience. So that, like, my goal, and I, I, it's not really a goal, but somebody called me Mr. Pokey Beast the other day. And I was like, dude, okay, so what does Mr. Beast do? creates these videos where he just gives away all this money. But then he makes more money from the ads on YouTube and other sponsors so that he can give away even more stuff, right? And mm -hmm. I think we're at a time where a lot of people aren't getting access to things. And I, I'm not trying to be like Mr. Beast, but in a way, I love that vision of just like, let's use YouTube to like give as much to as many people as possible. And then he's building this platform and he's now like got Mr. Beast Burger, right? Like I'm not saying, oh, I have this business adventure uh, or business venture in mind. Um, although that being said, I have noticed other things that that could potentially, you know, from gar card grading services to whatever, I'm not saying I'm gonna start a card grading service, but there, there's just a lot of struggles and challenges in the space that I think could potentially be solved. Um, but anyway, sorry, I'm just rambling, but 
th th those are a couple of things that I've, I've, I've noticed. And, you know, I um, had been asked a lot recently before the Logan Paul break, this recent one where packs were going for $40,000. A lot of people were asking me, did you buy a pack? Did you buy a pack? Like deep pockets, you know, you probably bought a pack, right? You were trying to grow your channel as big as possible. And I wanted to buy a pack because FOMO and it would have been a part of history, whatnot. First of all, I'm really glad I didn't. There were a lot of trainer cards that got pulled out, even mm -hmm. though there were two Charizards. I didn't get a Clefairy doll, so I'm grateful for that. Or an imposter <laughs> Professor Oak, like Rev did in the first <laughs> yeah. one. But um, I sort of cre I created a video that led on as if I was going to buy one. And then it changed the story from, I just don't feel right buying this. I'm going to give $40,000 to my community before the end of December um, this year. And that's something that I know that not everybody can do. It is sort of unfair that I can do that and others can't, but I can and I want to give back. And mm -hmm. um, that's, I feel going to help me grow the channel to a point where the ad money, can, I can just, I can just continue that wheel. I just yeah. continue feeding that wheel and trying to be as generous as possible and hopefully lead that charge and, and bring other people into the space and, you know, hopefully provide a good um, beacon of light and a, a hard time for Pokemon for a lot of people for sure. So that that that's the plan like you're you're the first person really to help bring this plan to a, a public spot but that's kind of what's come across my mind who knows what's going to happen though mm -hmm. um but I'm, I'm i'm having fun and i'm helping people along the way and that's 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 how you win i think right and, and and again if you're putting that at the forefront of your philosophy whether it's business pokemon youtube whatever if you put people first and you 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 have that service first mentality I really feel that everything else falls in line in the end. I, I truly do. It, it does, but at the same time, I've noticed this with a lot of people who I teach uh, or who come to me for business consulting. It's like, they have a great business. They're helping a lot of people, but they're, they're not making any money. Mm -hmm. And it's oftentimes because either they just don't know the, the like how to actually ask for money and the fact, or they're afraid to sell. They're afraid to make money, right? That's, that's a common mm -hmm. thing. Um, and it might be weird, but it's like, if you have a crowd and people have followed you because you're big, being creating these free YouTube videos, sometimes it could feel like selling out if you're starting to charge for things. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very scary feeling, but you got to learn that selling can be service. You can serve and sell at the same time. In fact, if you know you have something of value, if you know you have a solution to a problem and it requires man hours, it requires time, it requires labor systems, whatever that does cost you money, then it's actually your obligation to go out and sell something so that you can better serve more people mm -hmm. and it's a it's a hard thing to get over because a lot of times we get um scammed and, and it just leaves a bad taste in our mouth and we don't want to be the scammer um there's a lot of psychology with relation to selling but uh for me it took a while to get over that because i was providing information for free and making money through affiliate marketing in the beginning mm -hmm. um with my study guide it was very clear because people were spending hundreds of dollars on stuff that didn't work. And here was a $19 guide. So to me, that was very, very clear, but for a lot, it's, it's hard. And I think that, um, you know, again, like you said, if you can provide a service and, and be a value and open up those channels for people to pay you back for that service, that's when everybody can win. No, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I did the same thing on my channel recently for the longest time for weeks and weeks and weeks, I was doing weekly live Q and A's. Uh, where anybody that was in the live chat, I would just answer as many questions as I possibly could over the course of an hour, hour and a half. And, uh, you know, in the end, I, I started to think to myself, okay, like this is taking time out of my schedule. You know, it takes time away from family, from other things that you, you know, could be doing. And mm -hmm. so that's when I, I turned and, and I let people know ahead of time that, I'll still be doing the live Q and A's, but it'll be on uh, you know a members only basis. And I was a little hesitant in the beginning because, as you said, there is that that sort of connotation around selling or charging. And in the end, it really doesn't matter what you're doing out there. If you're providing a service, a product, there is a sales aspect to it. I, I mean, I got broken early in the beginning. I actually started out uh, during college in the summers. I would do door-to-door -door sales, selling home security. So I, oh, that's I, I got broken. The best education hard. you can ever get. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. I, I tell people very often that um, that was the best business school class that I that I had throughout my entire entire college career. Um, but as you said, at some point, you're still providing that level of service. 
And what, what I have found is that people are ready and willing to provide you with the, the funds in order to provide them with that service. So now that we're doing a members-only based live Q&A, that is going to shrink the pool down of people that will be in there. But now you're starting to, you, you realize the people that do have skin in the game, that want to have skin in the mm-hmm. game, that really want to learn and you know want to put forth those extra funds in order to do so. Because in the end, and I'm sure you found this, when you go to seminars, when you, you, uh, you know, put that money forth to learn new things, it pays off 10 times over in the end for that knowledge that you're gaining. So the, the $9.99 that I charge each month for a membership where they get into a live Q&A or for you, memberships on your channel, the information that you're gaining, it, it pays dividends time and time again. And... Uh, I think that's it's so important. It's, it's very important for uh, people to realize out there because a common zeitgeist that we have now is that there, there appears to be this schism between investors and collectors and people that try to create a business around Pokemon or that try to monetize certain aspects of their, their channel or you know just the Pokemon uh, hobby are kind of frowned upon from the other side. But what I've always told people is that it kind of it kind of works in a circular fashion where collectors help investors, investors help collectors, and you're really bouncing knowledge off of each other. Investors have a tendency to bring products to market that collectors then add to their collection. Collectors provide knowledge for investors to go out and maybe find those undervalued products that nobody knew about. So there, there is a symbiosis that exists there. And, uh, and I think we're seeing that, you know, in, in this space as well, when you're, when you're trying to create a business around Pokemon. Yeah, I think it's been very symbiotic from my understanding for so long. And now that we're in a very interesting era with pandemic, low stock, zero stock, it's like stirring up some interesting conversations that are happening, uh, important conversations to have for sure. Um, but I, I'm just afraid of like finger pointing and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that, that never leads to anything. I think what's important mm-hmm. is if anybody has anything to say, also bring a solution or at least bring an idea to try to add value to the community in whole. Um, and, and, and that to me is always what's worked whenever, because in business there's, it's never perfect and there's always, um, there's either competition or there's always uh, market changes and whatnot. And we got to pay attention to that. And, you know, in my experience, finger pointing has never uh, helped. Um, it's, um, it's almost like this kind of finger, like, Hey, come over here. Let's talk about this mm-hmm. and let's try to figure out a solution together. And that, that to me is, is conducive to benefit everybody as much as possible. Um, YouTube can be crazy though. YouTube is, you, you, YouTube is interesting. <laughs> It's a strange beast. It's a, it's a very strange beast uh, because, you know, we've been talking about social connections and the importance of that. And very often that can get lost over a medium like YouTube where there, you know, or really any social media has that tendency, I think, for people just to spout, um, you know, whatever they so choose. And again, there's not there's not necessarily like a, a ramification there. There's not that personal presence of like face to face interaction where if you are, you know, in the same room as somebody, there's not going to be the same level of animosity. I think over you know as there is over the written word, and so it is. It's an it's an interesting space to navigate. But I think that the more we bring together, more people more content creators, investors, collectors, whomever, um, and, and we start to share ideas and bounce ideas off of each other, um, I think it's a really good example for the rest of the world. You know, politically, I, I mean, you can go down the line. Anytime that you can have a, a conversation, you can have a, a debate or even an argument for that matter, and you can sit back and you can you can really think about that other person's rationale and and either reevaluate your own or maybe, you know, say, start to think, okay, they may be, I think they're wrong because of X, Y, Z. And maybe that solidifies your, your stance more, or maybe you throw it by the wayside. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think 
the ability to now hear all sides is what's beautiful because now like mm -hmm. you said we and everybody following along could make their own decisions based on more information which is you know again um i'm, I'm here on youtube as a pokatuber to yeah entertain and and i can bring like the flashy looking videos and stuff and the fun sound effects during live streams um but also i i, I want to be a good representative and um and and just be another voice from a new collector's perspective and and do it uh, with grace, hopefully. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and, and again, the, the Pokemon community has been so welcoming, honestly. They are, um, they're great. Just the fact that I'm even on this podcast and was uh, invited to um, moderate PokeRev's stream, which is crazy, by the way. I just, moderating his stream is a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> it gets crazy, it gets yeah. crazy. Um, to then being invited onto Radar's podcast, it's it and, and Pokenomics. It's just everybody's so warm and welcome. So like, you know, th I, I I live in a, a world of abundance. Like, hmm. there's enough for everybody, right? And and you know, again, I hope I can just kind of uh, continue to pay it forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you're doing a great job, man. And and we are we are very lucky to have you a part of this space. As I said, I followed you for a good while before this and was really excited so to to have you to have you as as part of this space as well. Um one of the other things that I want to touch on here uh quickly I know we're kind of getting to the top of the hour. Um but we, you know we've been talking about podcasting. You're a professional podcaster. A lot of people are diving into this world even in the Pokemon space uh to again try to get that try to get those people uh on, get them a platform, get more exposure. Um, what advice do you have for somebody like myself who's, you know, diving into podcasting, starting that, um, you know, just kind of the the big things that, that you notice? Yeah, so podcasting, we're still in the early days of podcasting. There's a lot of struggles in the world of podcasting. We don't have analytics as a podcast like we do on uh, YouTube. So we have to rely on building those relationships with our viewers and listeners. And that is very easy to do with a long format like a podcast because people are listening to you, whether they're on the go, a commute, on a walk or whatever. Um, if a person's watching your YouTube video for more than five minutes, you're doing really good. If mm -hmm. you have a person listening to your podcast, they're often listening for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, perhaps even a full hour like this one. And that's awesome. That's, that's so much of a day in a person's life to hear your voice. And there's so many great things you can do with that. Um, I would say let's focus on where to take the conversation now, right? Like after a podcast ends, what do you want them to do? How might we continue this conversation on a website or on the YouTube channel or on an email list, for example? That's really important. I see a lot of podcasts sort of leaving a lot uh, behind because you've spent a whole hour building a relationship. Let's keep this conversation going elsewhere and perhaps bring them into something that can serve them even more uh, free or paid. Mm -hmm. um, consistency is really key, showing up uh, at the same time, if possible, every week or every however often you you publish so that it becomes routine because I've noticed that even, so my podcast comes out every Wednesday and it's been coming out every Wednesday since 2011. A year before that, it was bi-weekly. Um, I miss a day, like people are upset. Like that's mm -hmm. how much people get into the rhythm of following. It's almost like, you know, Mandalorian every Friday on Disney plus it's like, I got to watch it on Friday. Now it's WandaVision, <laughs> but you know, it's like, we know every Friday, WandaVision, boom, I'm sitting down. And then when the season ends, we're all like, uh, we need, we need to wait a whole nother, however long, same thing with game of Thrones. I remember when that was going down mm -hmm. and it was like a two year wait before season finale. And then let's not even talk about the finale anyway. Um, <laughs> so consistency key. And for me, if you're an interviewer, like you are, you're doing a great job but we can always lean more into this idea of just being more genuinely curious. I think that if you really wanted an interview to stand out, it's not just about question, answer, question, answer. It's about question, answer, further investigation. Let's go deeper and dig to where the real root of this is, where the real gold is, and not being afraid to ask potentially tough questions. I think a lot of podcasters in particular want to like make sure the guest has a good time. And of course you do want that, but I think the guest might have a better time and the audience has a better time if they're hearing things that they couldn't get anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. Thus giving them a reason to come back and subscribe and and just like think about this and have conversation about it later. Um, word of mouth is key with growth in podcasting. So creating something worth talking about at home or with friends is 
uh, very much how a lot of successful podcasters grow. It's how Serial grew in 2014, one of the first podcasts about a true life crime and a person in jail. Maybe rightly so, maybe not. And people started talking about it to a point where it became so popular, SNL parodied it on one of their shows. And again, that was all spread by word of mouth, most, mostly. Mm -hmm. um, so ho I hope that helps, but you know, uh, that more than anything can help you grow. Um, and then getting on other people's podcasts. If you want to talk about growing your podcast, the best way to grow a podcast is to be a, a guest on another person's podcast because mm -hmm. a person's podcast app is already open. It's already a platform that they're listening to. So it's very simple to convert somebody from one show to another with an endorsement from somebody who's already spent the time to earn that trust versus a cold reach out to an influencer or just focusing on social media. In my opinion, social media does not grow a podcast. It's there to remind the people who already know your podcast exists that a show came out. Mm -hmm. But too many of my podcasting students are like, oh, so should I use YouTube or should I, or, or excuse me, should I use uh, Instagram and create these little waveform videos to post on there to post, like publish my podcast there, little snippets, or should I publish it and, and focus it on um, Twitter? I'm like, those are people who already know you exist. Mm -hmm. How do you get in front of people who don't know you exist yet? And that can be through uh, influencer marketing, through um, having a big guest on your show who then shares it. Uh, that that's really where you're going to leverage that. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's that's so awesome. And and I think you're absolutely right. And obviously, you would know this better than anybody. But I also agree that podcasting is really in its infancy, much in the same manner that I think the Pokemon market is still in its infancy, and we're really at the precipice. Um, you know, YouTube, I feel like is it, to a certain degree, perhaps is saturated to just so many videos uploaded on a daily basis. Um, so many content creators yeah. out there and the podcasting world is like a fraction of that, even though there appears to be a lot of podcasts out there, it's a fraction of the amount of, you know, videos on YouTube. Can, can I give you some numbers just to kind of put this yeah. into perspective? There are over 500 million active blogs. The written content. There's about 50 million active YouTube channels. We're not even at 2 million podcasts yet. Wow. And of the 2 million podcasts, more than half are not uploading consistently. Mm -hmm. So we have less than uh, essentially 1 million active podcasts right now. I know this data because I'm, uh, I have relationships and uh, um, with a lot of podcasting hosts, uh, hosting companies. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, we're still in the very early days. Uh, Seth Godin, a prominent marketer, once recently said that podcasting is the new blogging. And if that's the case, we're in the early 2000s of blogging where Blogspot and Zanga and all those other old blogging companies just started coming up. And then WordPress came out of nowhere and just started like owning everything. Um, we're going to see that in podcasting. Spotify is trying to make a move. There's a lot of money being put around in the world of podcasting from software being developed to acquisitions. Spotify mm -hmm. paid Joe Rogan over 300 million or 150 million, I don't know, some nine figure amount um, to have his show be exclusively on their platform. It's just, it's just crazy. So I think you're doing the right thing, niching down to Pokemon investing, but having a podcast where we, you can get super deep and get some really interesting people on your show. Um, I'm really excited to see where it goes and also excited just like you said to see where podcasts uh, where um, Pokemon goes because you know I feel like in some cases I came in at the peak because it's so crazy right now but at the same time there's new kids being born every day who are gonna yep. you know eventually get access to it um, who will then take it in their own way and I'm excited to see who the new creators are gonna be who are gonna mm -hmm. show up and, and, and blow me away it's gonna be cool yeah Definitely, definitely. No, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic, Pat. And and as I said before, we're so lucky to have you in this space. You know, the knowledge that you bring from all of your your previous businesses and just your your philanthropic work and everything that you do, uh, the Pokemon Company or the Pokemon community rather. Pokemon Company as well. I'm sure they're glad to have you as well. But no, they haven't reached out yet. But if you're watching <laughs> this or listening, like I would love to chat with you. <laughs> Well, and if you're listening or watching this, hey, you know, Pokenav, we, we, I'd like to hear from you as well. But, <laughs> but Pat, yeah, thank we'll, you. We'll have a group conversation, actually. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, man, I, I truly, truly appreciate all of your time and uh, for stopping by here today and uh, would love to do it again sometime in the future. Um, but for anybody out there that may be listening, watching this, 
if uh, they don't know where to find you, what are all of your handles? Where can they find you on all the socials? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you again for having me on. Uh, incredibly honored. I'm thankful that all of you listening to this uh, made it to the end, and I just appreciate you for that. You can find me at Pat Flynn on most social media channels, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, even my other channel on YouTube, Pat Flynn um, Clubhouse as well. Uh, pretty active on there. But my main Pokemon channel, of course, is Deep Pocket Monster. And uh, I also have some stuff at patflynn.com in case you're curious about other parts of what I do and who I am and what I believe in and all those kinds of things too. So uh, just Pat Flynn, that's all you need to know. Excellent, excellent. Well, guys, be sure to check him out. As I said, Pat Flynn, Deep Pocket Monster, great, great guy. You will not be disappointed. Other than that, everybody, thank you for being here. We will see you all next time right here on the Pokemon Masterclass. Take care, everybody.